the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. James 4, 1-4 From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I want you to understand something from this passage of Scripture. In the book of James, the gravity of the tone in this section of chapter 4 is ex- accentuated by the absence of the words, My brethren. James used it several times in the previous chapters, but here he doesn't do it very much. The reason why is because he's becoming a little bit more pointed, a little bit more confrontational. We need to do some confronting in our own lives. Confronting in our own hearts. Why does it seem that God is silent? Well, this morning I want to preach to you a message that I have entitled, Why God Seems Silent. Why God Seems Silent. Two times in this chapter, in verse number 2 and verse number 3, we find that people have not. In verse number 2, the latter part of the verse, it says, Ye have not, because ye ask not. Verse number 3 says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. You see, it seems like God is silent, and we have not, because of some things that is articulated in these verses. Number 1, number 1, why it seems that God is silent is because of unresolved conflict amongst us unresolved conflict amongst us look in verse 1 it says from whence come wars and fightings among you come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain ye fight in war yet ye have not because ye ask not characteristically James introduces this new section with a rhetorical question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Why is there conflict in your lives? Where do wars or state of wars and fightings, that phrase, that that question that he brings up, speaks of individual disputes or individual quarrels in people's lives. 
Tragically, often some of the most bitter and severe conflicts come amongst Christians. Some have supposed that the apostle here refers to the contests and seditions existing among the Jews, which afterwards broke out into rebellion against the Roman authority, which um, led to the overthrow of the Jewish nation. But the more probable reference is to the disputes which took place among the people and which may have led to outbreaks and even some outer conflict and violence amongst the people in the church. And when the Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle James here says, among you, it's accurate to suppose that these were the believers and some converted Jews even were engaged in strifes and conflicts. And he asked the question, but then answered it himself, come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You see, the source of wars and fights among Christians is always the same. There is some root of carnality, an internal war within the believer regarding the lusts of the flesh. Conflict always comes out of inner sensual lusts or pleasures. And the word for lusts there in verse number one is the Greek word from which we get the English word hedonism. Hedonism. And is it not true that when we get into a heated conflict, intense dispute, spirited and severe strife with someone, that our flesh is engaged? Is that not true? And subconsciously, the reason we get into the conflict is because we find pleasure in wanting ourselves to be right. It's a pride issue. The Bible says, for with pride cometh contention. There's an adrenal rush when we get confronted or we confront someone and our flesh is engaged. And this is when we become engaged in a selfish spirit to prove ourselves, to defend ourselves, and fight to be right. Sometimes we engage in a fleshly act of denigrating someone else's character, engaging in ad hominem tactics just to make our, ourselves look better than the other person. All of this internal warfare translates into external conflicts. Let me ask you this question. Do you have any conflict with somebody? Revival will be hindered if there is unresolved conflict amongst us. He goes on to say, you lust and you have not. Covetousness and envy were one reason for these people's strife. War is the fruit of illicit wants. That is, we want something which we do not now possess and to which we have no way, no just way of getting it. And this prompts the effort to obtain it by force. Adam Clark said, you desire, uh, you desire extension of territory, fame, money, the means of luxurious indulgence or of magnificence and grandeur. And this leads to contest and bloodshed. These are the causes of wars in the large scale among nations and of the contentions and strifes of individuals. The general reason is that others have that which we have not and which we desire to have and, and, and not content with endeavoring to obtain it if we can in a peaceful and honest manner, and not willing to content ourselves without its possession, we resolve it by securing it by force. 
Basically, what he was saying is, hey, it's okay to not really have it. But we want it, and we force ourselves to getting it. How can this be applied to us today? Well, material things, experiences, we want them, and so we may not fight with, uh, for them with others, but we fight sound financial principles to get them. Young married couples end up in massive debt because they want the house, the car, the land, the furniture, etc. that their parents have without the patience and work that took decades for their parents to make. We're not willing to go without or at least develop over time to be able to get it. I remember when we were struggling financially, when we were even in Bible college, we did without many times. We didn't go on dates that cost money for a long period of time. A long period of time, we didn't go on dates because we had children. We, couldn't, we didn't have anybody leave our children with somebody. We had to wait till they're a little older. So we did without uh, uh, going on dates uh, often. There were years that we didn't go on dates because we couldn't afford to go on it. We didn't buy a house until we had been married nearly 15 years. But we got to be careful of making the mistake of thinking that we need something when in actuality we lust after it. You know, we take that verse out of context many times, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 we take that out of context. You say, oh, God will supply everything I want. No. God will supply all our needs. And then it goes on to say, you kill and desire to have. Again, Albert Barnes said, it's not exactly that they killed or committed murder previous to desiring to have, but that they had such a covetous desire for the possessions of others as to produce a murderous and bloody temper. The spirit of murder was at the bottom of the hole, or there was such a desire of possession of others as to lead to the commission of this crime. You fight and you war. When we get into fights and get into conflicts, what about character assassination? Have we ever done that? And he goes on to say, yet you, you have not because ye ask not. There in verse number two. James did not contend that the reason lust was not gratified was because people failed to ask God to fulfill those desires. He simply revealed the clear source of conflict deep in covetous human hearts. A theologian said, you fight and you do not succeed because you do not pray, you do not consult God in your undertakings whether you will allow of them or not, and you do not commit your way to Him and make known your requests to him, but follow your own corrupt views and inclinations. We get in conflicts with somebody and we try to figure out our own way of resolving them rather than God's way of resolving them. And so, therefore, it's we fight, we war, we lust, we covet, we want to be right, we have not because we ask not. We're not doing it the right way. We're not consulting him. So what can we learn from this? Well, before we engage in a conflict, we need to ask ourselves, is this really worth it? Is this really worth the aggravation, the annoyance, the irritation? Is this a just reason to have a fight? What is the cause of the conflict? Why should we contest 
Why do we have to be right? Sometimes we should just value the cause of Christ above being right or getting our own way. Ultimately, consulting God is the key to preventing or stopping any conflict, any strife, any dissension. We must ask God. So we have not because we ask not. Because we war with one another. So my question is, is there any unresolved conflict? Why is it that God seems to be silent? Is there unresolved conflict in your life? Number two. Number two, not only is there unresolved conflict, but look in verse number three. It says, Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. A second reason why God seems silent is because of ungodly motives. Ungodly motives. Notice it says, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. Now in context, the reason for the conflict among the believers is because they did not properly ask God for guidance. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. John 16, 24, hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. The correct way for believers to have their legitimate needs met is by asking counsel of God. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So why then do believers sometimes not receive what they ask? And it's because this passage makes it very clear then what they ask for is because of ungodly motives. It says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask, what's that next word? Amiss. You ought to underline, circle that word in your Bible. That word amiss in the Greek language is literally wicked or evil. Let's put it this way. Basically, it could be understood like this. Wickedly, you are asking. Wickedly, you are asking. And that verb to ask, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that, word, that verb ask literally means ask for yourself. You ask for yourself. The purpose clause that follows further clarifies the motive that ye may consume it upon your own lust, upon your lusts. And that word for consume is the same verb that is used to describe the wasteful spending of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse number 14. It says, and when he had spent all, consumed all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. God will never provide for selfish, hedonistic squandering. The praying can, the, can be done with evil intentions or simply to fulfill a wicked pleasure, personal desire, personal want. A second ac uh, application for this is we can pray for our own selfish gain. How many of you want to see this church grow and build and, and we have another building? Why? Really, why? See, do we pray for better finances? We should. Why? To buy what we want 
or to be able to give more for the glory of God. Why do we want more people to come to church? Is it so we could say, well, look how big our ministry is? Because the size of ministry shows your spirituality. That's not true. Ultimately, should our motive not be for the glory of God that souls would be saved and that they have that relationship with God? That should be our one undying motive. Why do I pray that Anchor Baptist Church could be used of God to turn San Diego upside down, to have a seismic impact, so that San Diego will know that there is a God in heaven who lives and loves and wants to save their soul? Because it's all about God. But, <clears throat> well, we want to pray for all these programs so that our needs are met. We want to pray for all these people so that our needs are met. We want money so that we can have all these different things. But in all reality, we need to check our motives. We must remember that the purpose of prayer is not to persuade God to do our bidding. The purpose of prayer is so that God is glorified. We need to align our will with His and in partnership with Him to ask to accomplish his will on this earth on his terms. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To treat God in such a way in prayer so as to have him do our bidding is an abuse of a privilege that he affords. And we have not, we re receive not because we ask amiss. To consume it upon our lusts. See, sometimes God is silent because of ungodly motives. Ungodly motives. And then lastly, number three, I want you to see. Look at verse number four. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Here, James wasn't addressing them as literal adulterers and adulteresses, but rather he was addressing them figuratively and metaphorically. So not only is God silent because of uh, unresolved conflict, and God is silent because of ungodly motives, but thirdly, God sometimes seems silent because of uncommitted lives. Uncommitted lives. James here is referring to believers who are unfaithful in their covenant with God. To convince them of this thing is an evil thing. And James showed them that the true nature of their allegiance with worldliness was a serious problem. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. This doesn't mean that you cannot have an acquaintance with somebody who is unsaved. That's not what this is talking about. Because even Jesus Christ was a friend of sinners. He sat with the sinners and the publicans and, and even the Pharisees and the Sadducees railed against him for that. That's not what this is talking about. And the difference between Jesus eating with sinners and what is happening here in verse number 4 is that Jesus spent time with them to impact their lives 
for the better rather than them impacting him. What is the world? What is worldliness? Well, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 tells us that, and it's a command even, to love not the world. That phrase, love not the world, literally in the Greek con construct is stop loving, giving your affections to the worldly attitudes, appearances, and, and uh, actions that you're already doing right now. Stop doing it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, weren't we just talking about that? James talking about that? Lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The lust that is uh, mentioned there in 1 John chapter 2 speaks of the inordinate desire for something or someone outside the boundary of legitimacy. And the word for world here is used to signify the things of the world, the enjoyment thereof. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? When the things of the world dominate our affections, when they dominate our thoughts and our time, there's no room to dispute what principles by which we live, either by the world or by the word. So what can we learn from these verses? Well, worldliness in Christians is, a, is spiritual adultery. To seek the affection of the world is the way to be at enmity with God. Picking a fight with God. It says, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world. Whosoever will take that affection with the worldly things and not the spiritual things and not the things of the word of God. That is picking a fight with God. Because God and the world are diametrically opposed. It's okay to have friendships with lost people if our desire is to influence them. We should have a faith strong enough that nothing about the world will sway us away from our affections for God. I have decided, and maybe you should too, decided that I'm not going to be a thermometer. A thermometer is impacted by the environment. I've decided I'm going to be a thermostat. A thermostat is the one that changes the environment. And that's what Jesus did. These people in James chapter 4, verse number 4, were, was allowing, they were allowing the world to dictate to them how they believed and acted. When our hearts and thoughts and time are dominated by the things of the world, God is pushed out and we pick a fight with Him. The issue of the hour is that we tend to be uncommitted to the things of God. Rather than being Christians on God's terms, you know what we do? We force God into our terms. If what God wants aligns with our terms, then that's great. Now, whenever you've had a blackout, how many of you ever had a blackout at your house or in your community? Okay? And all your electronic equipment starts flashing, right? And you have to set your clock again. What do you set it to? The question is, am I setting that clock to the right time? 
that clock may be functioning properly, but set the wrong way. So what we need to do is set our clocks above. And what does God say? Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. We may have our affections working properly. Oh, I love to do this. I love to do that. That's great. We should love to do certain things. But what are those things that we love? Are those things that our affections set on things above? Do we love to pray? Do we love to be in relationships with people? Do we love to reach out to others? Do we love to minister? Do we love to hear the word of God? Do we love to study the word of God? Or do we love the things of the world? Where are our affections set? We have unresolved conflicts. We uh, are ungodly in our motives. And we are uncommitted to the things of God. If you're looking for a church family where you can serve, I'd like to invite you to Anchor Baptist Church of San Diego. We are a Christ-centered, family-oriented ministry located at 8245 Ronson Road, Suite D, San Diego, California, 92111. Our services start on Sunday for Sunday School at 9.30 a.m., and our morning worship begins at 10.45. Then we have a brief time of fellowship before we begin our afternoon service at 12.15 p.m. Our midweek Bible study and prayer time is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And if you or anyone you know is struggling with a destructive, addictive behavior, Anchor Baptist Church offers an addictions recovery ministry, which is a Bible-based recovery program that provides freedom through the power of God and His Word. This program is called Reformers Unanimous, and we meet every Friday at 7 p.m., also at 8245 Ronson Road, Suite D, San Diego, California, 92111. For more information, visit us at www.anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. That's www.anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Or call us at 619-804-3413. That's 619-804-3413. You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kehiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.